If you have your Bible, uh, I want you to go ahead and open up with me to the book of Acts. <gasps> oh, I know. I know, that's a shocker. We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to continue to do that today. Uh, but for just a moment, I want us to go into the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 5. Later on, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to put your finger there, or if you, if you have one of those nice ribbons, you can set that there. If you have that on your Bibles, uh, just get ready for that, because we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But uh, I'd love for us to start out this morning in the book, book of Acts, a little change of pace. So we're going to be in chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 40. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to talk about it for a moment before moving into 1 Peter. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. We're just going to be really encouraging right out of the gate, I promise. Here we go. They beat them, and they charged them not to speak the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I think, church, I was thinking about this uh, just this, this week and even last night as I was kind of just finalizing and getting everything ready. And I think uh, I just felt, uh, I guess, in my soul that somebody needed to hear this this morning, that somebody needed to know. And that I think, I think really, honestly, we all need to hear that this morning, that, that God's primary focus for your life is not for you just to feel good. All right, it's actually for you to, to be good. No, I think more than that, he wants you to be becoming more like Jesus, right? He wants, to be, he wants us to be moving in that direction, becoming more like Jesus. Somebody need to hear that, but, but it's nothing new. It's been said before. It's also been said that the road to feeling good is paved with feeling bad, right? The, the road to good things is paved with bad things. In other words, in this world, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There's going to be heartache. There's, there's all this suffering that goes on, just like Peter's been talking about over the past few chapters. And we've gone back and we've looked at this over the last few chapters. Suffering is a main theme in this book, in this letter. And that's why I thought we should read this over and Acts for just a moment talk about it. You know, uh, also in the book of John, uh, chapter 16, like around verse 33 or so, Jesus talks and he says, In this world, you're going to have suffering. You're going to have pain. You're going to have this persecution. But then he says this, and I love this, church. He says, fear not, because I, as Jesus, have overcome the world. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I read this text in Acts, and I, and I read what happened to, to these guys in the book of Acts, and I, I read that they were being beaten and persecuted and told not to speak the name of Jesus, and then they left there rejoicing, they do that because they believe and they know and they trust that Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And I read this, and I see a lot of things jump out, and I think it just kind of does something in my spirit. It just gets me excited about God and the gospel. So let's read this again. Uh, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak the name of Jesus anymore. Okay. One of the first things that takes place in this opening text is they are physically beaten. Physically hurt. Right? Their, their flesh is attacked. Now, I know that we don't deal with the same stuff that they dealt with. Not many of us are, are being martyred for our beliefs in Greenwood, South Carolina. That's not to say that it can't happen. It's just, in, in this day and age, it's, it's quite possible, but that's just saying many of us are not dealing with that. But maybe your flesh is getting attacked from time to time in other ways. Maybe you're dealing with a physical or mental illness, something that's attacking you each and every 
day. Maybe you wake up in physical pain every morning. Maybe you found yourself in an abusive relationship and you're being physically harmed in that way. Maybe you self-harm. In, in these cases, you would be experiencing your flesh being attacked. You would be physically hurting. Right? You'd be experiencing this flesh being attacked. It's not the same, exactly the same way. But we can kind of relate a little bit to what they're going through. They're being physically beaten for their beliefs. So they beat them. But the, the striking thing is that that's, that that's not the biggest problem in my mind. As I'm reading this, that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is not that they were physically beaten, that they were tortured, that they were jailed and imprisoned, and that, that the guards laid hands on them and they hurt them. That's not the, that maybe bones were broken, maybe gashes were open, maybe there was blood that was spilling. Who knows? I don't know exactly how everything went down. You know how beating goes, all right? You understand. But, but that's not the biggest issue. I think the biggest issue is that they kind of dig deep down into the soul and they go after who they truly love, right? They begin to strike against their very identity. So what they're really saying is this, this Jesus you're preaching, not only are we going to beat you, not only are we going to hurt you, not only are we going to tear your flesh, not only are you going to have suffering in that way, but we're going to damage your spirit. We want to go to the heart of the matter, and we're going to go deep down into your spirit, and we're going to say, don't even speak the name of Jesus anymore. We want to take away the very thing that you love. So they put them through physical punishment, and then they put them through spiritual punishment. They tried to shut their mouths. But as we read in the text, it says this. They beat them and charged them not to speak the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, the word says. Like, I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole story. And, and, and I, I, I mean, wow. You know, they, they left. Re listen, family, I have left some church services not rejoicing. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I've left some, not this church though, right? Not this church. You got to give me, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. We, these guys left a, a good old beating session rejoicing, right? They left happy because of what just went down. It really puts things into perspective, right? We come into church and we have so many problems and we get so focused on the little things, you know? Miss, Mrs. So-and-so wasn't very nice to me today and you know, they, they kind of snub me, and I wonder what this person has against me, and we do. We, we take these, these very small persecutions, and we leave, and we go, man, I, I went to church, and I, and I leave, and I feel worse than when I came. Has anybody ever been there? Again, not this church, but yet we ask God for power. We ask God, give us power. Let us understand our identity. Church, we have to realize that our identity was, was never to be brought together in this messy thing called the local church and fuss with one another. Our identity was to be brought together in the local church as the body of Christ to accomplish the kingdom work God has called us to. Come on, church, these guys set the example. These guys set the example. They rejoice in the face of adversity. They re rejoice in the face of persecution. Listen, in this world, you're going to have suffering and persecution, but God already overcame that, right? It doesn't mean that we don't feel some kind of pain, but we have to understand that God is not primarily concerned with us being happy. He wants us to be on fire for him regardless of the pain, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances. Case in point, they go out rejoicing after being beaten. Now, I don't know about you, church, but can you remember growing up 
when your dad used to give you a whooping. A whooping. That's the way you got to say it because that's what it was. A whooping, right? Now, I know, listen, I know I'm talking to like primarily millennial and Gen Z crowds in here, and some of you might not know what a whooping is. But what do you mean by relate with me and say you remember those back in the day? Okay. So some people know what I'm talking about. Now, I didn't get nearly as, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't get nearly as many as I deserved, right? I did not get, I should have gotten more whoopings in my life than I actually got. But you better believe that I remember some of them to this day, and I remember why I got them. That's the, the struck a chord. And it's, it's so crazy, you, you, like, you know when you're about to get in trouble, and your dad gives you the look, like, there's this, I don't, I can't even do it, because I, 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 maybe I do do it. Maybe I do it to my kids. I don't know. Maybe I give them a look. But, but I know, like, they get, you get the look, and you know, oh, it's about to go down. Like, I've crossed the line. There was a line, and I stepped over it, and now I'm getting the eyes, and I know. And then you hear the loops. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, anybody remember that? Oh, that's, God, that's the one that just makes you run, and you want to go, like, outside and not come in until it's dark and everybody's asleep. And... <laughs> I remember some good whoopings back in the day, but I don't ever remember getting a whooping and going out saying, that was awesome. <laughs> Woo-hoo-hoo. That just doesn't go together. right? If you walked out of there and said, that was awesome, can I have another, please? I think they would oblige, and you would not enjoy it the second time around. I think you would much less enjoy it the second time. I don't know. I'm just blown away by these apostles and those who lived in the first century who named the name of Jesus. Because here's the thing. They would go out and they would literally get stoned. All right, not talking about the drugs here. I'm talking about boulders on their heads. They would literally get stoned for just speaking the name of Jesus. They knew that it was going to happen. They, they, they said, they knew this was what was going to go down, and they did it anyways. Paul was stoned and left for dead at one point. We've talked about this story. You might remember this. And he got up, and he went back into the city after being stoned, and he rejoiced. He went back to the people that tried to kill him. They thought they had killed him, and he rejoiced. Why, why is this? Because Paul gets it. All of this is working together to shape him into the man that God has called him to be. And church, part of that shaping means that sometimes we have to move through suffering. Sometimes we've got to move through suffering. And so it says rejoicing, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus The guards didn't shut their mouths. The whip or the club or whatever they were getting beaten with did not shut their mouths. The suffering and the pain they felt in their flesh didn't shut their mouths. The threats of violence and the promises of pain didn't stop them from sharing the good news of Jesus. They suffered and counted themselves worthy. This idea of suffering, it comes up again and again and again in this letter to the church dispersed across Asia Minor, this letter in First Peter that we've been walking through because they were facing persecution. They were experiencing suffering. We've touched on some of it already as we've walked through this, and we're going to touch on a little bit more of it uh, next week, and we'll spend about, we're going to spend a little bit of time there today. And, and, and here's what I want you to hear this morning, church. If you miss everything else I say, I want you to hear these next several sentences. Jesus is higher 
than any suffering you'll ever go through. All right, hear me. Jesus is wider than any suffering you'll ever go through. Jesus is deeper than any suffering you'll ever go through. It doesn't matter. You can name anything. You can name literally anything. You can take whatever suffering that you're feeling right now, multiply it by a million, and Jesus is still deeper, wider than, than that suffering. He's still higher than that suffering. And the other thing that I want to say is this, and then we'll move, we'll move into 1 Peter and we'll kind of hit our passage for today. So I just want you to think about this, and this, it, it, it seems counterintuitive. It seems like not something that, that we actually it doesn't make sense, but I believe this. I believe that pain can be beautiful. I do believe that. Suffering, I believe, becomes beautiful when you look ahead and you realize that you're following Jesus. The hope set before you. In that moment, pain becomes beautiful. Do you hear me this morning? Suffering becomes beautiful when you when you look ahead and you realize you're following Jesus. So here's what I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 4. We're starting chapter 4 here this morning. And I want to share with you from there today just a few verses about suffering. And then he gives a lot of other random verses that we'll also hit on before we go today. But we're going to walk through this passage verse by verse as we have in weeks prior. Uh, because it is kind of a a little bit of a disjointed section that we're reading. I don't have any nice, neat points for you. So if you're a note taker, you're going to have to just write down things that come to mind as we're, as we're going. Um, we're going to start out in 1 Peter 4.1. It reads like this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. All right, so what's he saying here? We're just going to kind of go through this, and we're going to take it sort of verse by verse, and we're going to talk about it. What's he saying here? You're going to suffer. That's kind of what he's saying. All right, Christ suffered. You're going to suffer. Arm yourself with the same thinking, the same mindset that God has. Arm yourself with that. Put on that armor. That's what it is. Get ready for battle if you want to look at it that way. All right, this is what I want you to understand this morning, church. If you're going to retreat from suffering, then, then you don't need any armor. You hear what I'm saying? If, if your plan in, in your life is to run from suffering and to run from pain, then don't put on any armor. There, it's no, there's no use. You're in retreat mode. But if you're going to be like Jesus, you have to face the suffering head on. All right, you have to press through the suffering. We've talked about this before, and we said this during our Time, Talent, Treasure series just a little while back. Uh, we said this. We said that you should, uh, we should not be so focused on getting out of tough situations that we fail to get anything out of tough situations. You see, so often we try to get away from the suffering in our lives, the difficulties, the hardships. We try to get away from it. We, we try to pray it away. God, take this away. Because we don't want to face that battle. All right? We want to go and hide until that battle somehow miraculously gets solved and, and is done and over with. But listen to me, church. If you don't fight that battle, if you don't step up to the plate and face what, what is coming at you head on, if you don't fight that battle, then, then I want you to make no mistake that you cannot reap the spoils of victory. 
If you don't put on that armor and fight that battle, you cannot reap the spoils of victory because you, you have to know this. We are promised victory, all right? Come on, somebody. This, we are promised victory, whether in this life, right now, in this day, in this time, or later on, whenever Jesus comes again, we are promised victory. Jesus says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. You put on that armor. You arm yourselves, like it says in, in 1 Peter. And you fight that battle because so often we see that after the battle comes the blessing. You can't see it in the moment. I know it's murky. The picture's unclear. All you see is, is, is this Goliath. All you see is this giant in front of you, and you don't know how you're going to push through. But, but I think the word tells us, put on this armor. Arm yourself with the same thinking, the same mindset that Jesus Christ had, and face that giant. Face that battle head on. And then the blessing is going to come after the battle. Verse 2, uh, so as to live <clears throat> for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In other words, he's saying this, live new now. All right? If you, if you need a title, I couldn't come up with a good title for this one, so I just use that. Live new now. Live new now. You see, here's the thing. He's talking in First Peter, he's talking all about, you know, we're aliens, right? We're, we're, we're sojourners, we're foreigners on this land because our home is in heaven. Okay, if you're a believer, then that's, that's the truth. And so we can think ahead and we can say, you know what? I've got plenty of time for right living and new living when I get there. But that's not really the way this works. He wants you to live new now. Pursue him now. Trust in him now. That's what he's calling us to do. Live new now. Stop living for the passions of the past. All right, there, there's, a, there's a break that happens here. Every single one of us who is in Christ are new creations. The old has passed away, and everything that is new has now come. This is the way we're called to live. He goes on. Look at the next verse. In verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drink, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter is reminding his readers of what their lives were like in the past when they were still slaves to sin. This is what you did. This is how you acted. This is who you were. And he just gives it to them in, in no uncertain terms. You see, back then they lived, at it, they, they lived just like the pagan Gentiles did, participating in all these sinful behaviors, and the list could go on and on and on. And I think Peter just didn't have time to write down the whole list. You can add whatever you want to into that list. Whatever your past looks like can go onto this list because he's reminding us of our past. For many of us, we lived so much of our past pursuing things other than Jesus, doing the will of the world, living in sin. I love in Ephesians uh, 2, the Apostle Paul also reminded the believers uh, in, in the church uh, at Ephesus about what their sin had done to them before they became disciples of Christ. I want us to read this one. Uh, it says this, and, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I want to point out, it doesn't say you were dying. All right, these people were alive, right? They, they were literally physically alive, heart pumping, blood flowing, right? They were alive. But he uses a phrase here, and you were dead, sealed, done, written. Your fate was secured. You were dead. 
when you lived in sin. When you were, were doing all these, these trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's who we were, sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, and, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This, this is how Paul tells the, the people at Ephesus and tells us, this is how you were before you knew Jesus. This is how we lived. We lived, as Peter put it, for our human passions instead of for our, 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 our God. And as a result, we deserved God's wrath. We deserved God's punishment. We deserved death. But something happened. Right? Jesus happened. There's, there's one other passage that we've looked at for several weeks several weeks ago in Peter's letter that I think is going to help us in kind of putting verses 1 and 2 here in, in, in 1 Peter 4 together. And that we're gonna, so we're going to jump back to 1 Peter 2 for just a second. Uh, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Okay? Now let's compare that to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. I think I've got, yeah, I've got it kind of there for you. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. All right, so I've used some colors and some underlines here to kind of show you the parallels between these two passages. All right, when we see the parallel, the suffering of Christ in the flesh is parallel to him bearing our sins in his flesh. All right, Christ suffered in the flesh, and he bore our sins in the flesh. All right, and, and the idea of living our lives in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God is parallel to the idea of dying to sin and living to righteousness. So what are we saying with all this? As we put all of this together, what, what does this look like? What does this mean? Jesus lived and died for me so that I could die and live for him. All right, did you catch that, church? Jesus lived and died for me so that I could die and live for him. That's the way this works. And when he died for us, sin was finished. It was defeated. We should consider, our, we, we should consider ourselves now dead to sin at this point in our lives. If we believe and trust and follow in Jesus Christ, we are dead to sin. We don't have to respond to it anymore. Sin's power has been broken, and we are free to live differently. We are free to live differently. No longer are our lives spent and wasted, like in verse 3. Instead, they're being invested and redeemed. So verses 4 and 5. This is where we start to transition a little bit in this particular passage. <clears throat> with, re with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. It's going back to your, your friends, the people that were Gentiles, the people that, that you, you, you did all this sin and, and trespasses with. It's going back to that for just a moment. All right, so, so you do not, uh, do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, and they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, here's the deal. When you break away from people, and when you move toward the suffering of the cross, you, and you walk away, your, your, your friends, your whole world will be surprised. 
All right, and this is not like a good surprise, not like we're hiding behind the couch waiting for you so we can pop out and yell surprise at your birthday party, surprise. That's not the kind of surprise that these people are feeling. These people are surprised, and people might be surprised in your life because they know who you used to be, and now they see who you claim to be, and they're surprised to the point that they want to malign you. Now, for you non-English majors in the house, that means they want to slander you or speak critically of you. They want to talk you down, talk down to you, talk down about you, because they don't believe. They, they don't believe. They don't see. They, they might even think you're from another planet, which is funny, because Peter starts out this letter telling us that we're aliens. Might think you've lost your mind. Why, you don't want to go hang out tonight? No, I've got missional community. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to talk theology. We're going to pray together. What? You want to do this? No, I've, I've, got, I've got something going on. I've got this thing, and I've got this person. I want to go serve this person. What, for free? For money? No, for free. They think we're weird, crazy. In, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, it says uh, but people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. They just don't understand you anymore. You, you, you puzzle them. And sometimes your friends can become your persecutors. Unfortunate as that may be, you have to know that, that suffering might come at the hands of your closest friends. Suffering might come at the hands of your, your family, your, your coworkers, your friends, your loved ones. But here's the deal, church. Suffering becomes beautiful when you look ahead and you realize that you're following Jesus. And in that moment, you can know it's all worth it. In that moment, you can know it's all worth it. The hope set before me is worth it. So let's push on verse 6. We're trying to make it through 11 a day. We'll see how it goes. Verse 6. <laughs> For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Verse 6 is interesting. Uh, as you're reading it, maybe you're thinking it's interesting. Maybe you're not thinking at all. Maybe you're waiting on me to tell you what to think. Um, verse 6 is interesting because I, so I have, I don't know, three or four study Bibles that I'm using. I've got a couple commentaries. One of the study Bibles mentions verse 6 in its, in its commentary below. None of the actual commentaries mention verse 6 at all. They just skip right over it. And here's why. Verse 6 is a little weird. Because it sounds like, at first glance, as you're reading it, it sounds like, we're not going to skip over this morning. I want to talk about it because it is, it is odd. It sounds like there's a second chance for salvation after death. All right? If the gospel is preached to those who are dead, you kind of get this impression that, wait, does that mean what it sounds like it means? All right? This is not... This, this verse isn't as highly debated among Christians as some of the other verses we read like a week or two ago. Uh, but there are a lot of cults and religious groups that would use this verse to believe that the dead can still be saved. So let me just say this before I confuse anybody. The, the Bible's very clear. Sorry, church, that can't happen. All right, Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's as clear-cut as that, okay? 
So, so, so go ahead and kind of push that out of your brain for just a moment. So let's, let's kind of look at context. So judging by the context of the first few verses, talking about the perseverance of the believers, and in verse 5 saying that God will judge the living and the dead, it's fair to say, I think, that Peter is talking about those that heard the good news when they were alive, possibly even martyrs, because they were judged in the flesh and they were put to death for their beliefs. They live on in spirit. And they get to continue hearing the glory of Jesus Christ all the time. Verse 7, Peter, again, continues this transition into kind of just some different topics and some different things he's going to throw at you. He's going to kind of hit you with like a boom, 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 boom here toward the end. And he's going to kind of throw a couple things your way, but he's beginning this transition here. Uh, verse 7, uh, the end of all things is at hand. So therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, so where, where's Peter going here? <clears throat> I think, first of all, he brings your prayer life into it, which is an interesting choice. He wants to bring your prayer life into it. He wants you to, uh, to think about that for just a moment. All right, this is not by accident. He's setting this up for something. He wants you to, to hear and to know something because I think the prayer life is one of the best indicators of whether, in fact, we are thinking like Jesus and living according to God's will or if we're living according to our human passions, which he's talked about before. If my prayer life is constantly characterized by me asking God for the things that I want, health, money, whatever, whatever, stuff, things, fame, fortune, comfort, then that may indicate that I'm living for my own human passions. On the other hand, if my prayers are focused on seeking what God desires for my life, then there's a much better chance it's more likely that I'm living for God's will. So here again, Peter reminds us that a robust, effective prayer life begins in the heart, in the feels. No, it's in the mind. Right? It's, it's just where it begins. You've got to be sober-minded. You've got to have self-control. And these things require discipline. It just doesn't happen automatically. There's not a switch that turns on that, that all of a sudden your prayer life is incredible. All of a sudden you're having these like five-hour conversations with God. That doesn't happen that way. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to sit down. You've got to make it happen. If I want to die to self and live for Christ, I must constantly be filling my mind with his word which is the primary way that God reveals his heart and his purpose. That's how we become self-disciplined and sober-minded. He also shows us how urgent it is that we move toward this. All right, he gives us some urgency here in this passage. All right, he says uh, that we are anticipating uh, his return at any time. See, in the early church, they believed that Jesus was returning soon. They believed that it was happening very soon. And so they were anticipating his return, and they were, they were watching and waiting and praying, and they were looking for it. Obviously, we're a couple thousand years in, so now we're closer to the return of Jesus than ever before. We can say that with certainty. We still don't know when. We're not going to get into that can of worms today. But we know what's coming. And we know that we're closer to it than, than they were 2,000 years ago. There is a date on it. But if we had an eternal mindset, an upward focus, we would treat every day as if it's the day that Jesus is coming back. 
we would treat every day as it's the day that Jesus is coming back. If we had that mindset. So Peter goes on to share a few things that we can do to be ready. Okay, so if, 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 while you're here, while you're waiting, while you're aliens, while you're sojourning, while you're, while you're foreigners on this planet, on this earth, here's some things that you need to do. You need to love earnestly, and you need to show hospitality. He lays those out in those two verses, 8 and 9. So let's talk for a moment about loving earnestly. Because that, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. You've all heard this probably. You've even said this. You've even used this, maybe in an argument with your husband or wife. Don't recommend it. The idea here is that, is that love doesn't hold someone else's sin against them. That's the idea. When, when love covers a multitude of sins, it's, it's you're not holding someone else's sin against them. It does not mean that we're to condone the sin of others. It does not mean that we excuse them, and it does not mean that we ignore the, ignore the sin. It doesn't mean that there won't be times out of love that we have to confront another person about his or her sin. What it does mean is that in the same way that Jesus loved us, in the same way that Jesus forgave us in spite of our sins, we're not to let the sins of others become an excuse for not loving them. That's what it means. Now, since Peter brought Noah into this, if you were here last week, we, we had this random insertion of Noah into the passage, and we tried to deal with it as best as we could in our short time frame, but because Peter brought Noah into this letter uh, in, in, in that previous passage, uh, this verse reminds me of what happened after the flood. <clears throat> we think about this idea of, of loving earnestly and covering a multitude of sins. I started thinking about what happened right after the flood. You see, Noah gets out of the ark, and he decides that he needs a stiff drink. All right, that's kind of basically, this, I mean, it's scripture. You can read this. This is, this is in the word. I mean, the, the entire earth, everything he's ever known, every person he's ever known, save for his seven family members, right? Everybody, everything, his home, his hometown, everything is gone. Gone, wiped out. That's probably a lot to handle. So Noah begins the longest process in human history of making himself a drink. There were no bars. There was no way to get a drink. So here's what Noah did. First, he finds a spot that he wants to live, and he tills the land. Natural place to begin. Then he plants a vineyard in this land, right? So he plants a vineyard. And then, and then over, I would assume, if, if things grew the same way that they grow now, it would take about three years for this vineyard to produce the fruit that's needed, the grapes that's needed for him to make his wine. So, so he's waiting three years. Then he cleans and crushes and presses the grapes before leaving them in a cask for fermentation. I looked up the process for making wine. And then it's probably a, another six, to, six months to two years before he actually drinks it, depending on whether he's drinking red or white. I don't know. I'm not sure if Noah was a red or white guy, but, but he, he's, he's now at this place where he's waited so long, and now he goes a bit overboard, and he gets completely drunk. And Noah, from Noah's Ark, passes out naked in his tent. It's not really the storybook version that you remember, right? That's okay. Now, here's where loving, covering a multitude of sins comes into play. And this is why this popped into my mind. Two of his sons. Uh, so one son sees the situation, and he goes and tells his other brothers, like, hey, Noah, dad's passed out naked in the tent. And, and so here's what the two sons did. They loved their father. They, they take a towel, and they put it on their shoulders, I don't know why they didn't just hold it, but it says they put it on, his shoulder, on their shoulders, and they, they kind of backed their way into the tent, holding the towel on their shoulders. And then they built, bent down, and they set the towel down to cover their father, and they walked out without looking back. 
because they didn't want to see their father in, in this particular state. That's earnest love, friends. They, that's how you love someone and cover a multitude of sins. They weren't condoning what he did. They weren't condoning the situation. They weren't condoning how things went down. But they loved their father, and they took care of him. Verse 9, it gets really practical. How do you show others that you love them? You show them hospitality without grumbling. Did you know that it's not hospitality if you grumble the entire time you do it? Does not count. <laughs> Immediately stricken. It's, it's, you could say, I did this for this person, and I helped this, and I did, but I grumbled the whole time. Well, then it doesn't count. Let's take it off the list and start over. All right. The underlying word translated hospitality literally means love of strangers. We talked about this before. That was uh, particularly important among the members of the early church who were experiencing tremendous persecution, who were often driven from their homes and families. They had to rely on the hospitality of others. They had to rely on the love and care from others. And Peter makes it clear here that hospitality was to be extended without grumbling. Because it was to be done out of genuine love for others, not just out of a sense of duty or obligation. Grumbling might mean loving others um, we might not know all that well in a tangible way. It means that we might have to go outside our comfort zone to love someone who is a stranger. To, to love someone that, that maybe even we don't like all that much. We don't get along. We don't have anything in common. We might have to serve with our strategic partners here at Legacy and engage in conversations with people that we may have never had the opportunity to actually have a conversation with had we gone about our regular lives. We might need to open our homes to a missional community so that we can show hospitality to others. We might need to speak to people in public. Insert gasps. <laughs> right? At the grocery store. Look, I'm trying to get my groceries. I don't want to see people. One track mind, right? We might have to talk to people in a restaurant, walking around uptown, no matter how strange or awkward it may be, and extend hospitality and love to people. All right, so finally, let's look at verse 10. As each has received a gift. Can I stop right there? Everybody, look at me in the eyes. All right. Each has received a gift. Each and every person in this room, if you are a believer, has received at least one gift from God. Now, the word that's used here for gift is the exact same word that Paul uses for spiritual gifts. It's the only other person in all Scripture that uses the word in this way. All right, now, these are not talents. These are not skills. These are not, like, things that, that you could, this is not singing. This is not, like, you know, doing it, whatever it is you do, break dancing, whatever. I don't know. It's not those things. These are spiritual gifts. These are gifts that come directly from the Lord. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. These are gifts from God. And as a believer, you've been given a special gift by God to use within the body of Christ. That is the local church and the global church and the church dispersed. All right, so as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. If you are not serving in your gift, you're not necessarily hurting me. I want you to know that. Because it seems self-serving. You all have a gift. You need to use it for the church. I get that. You're not hurting me. You're cheating God out of a little, out of a little bit of glory. 
because he wants to get the glory from everything done. And you're cheating yourself out of God's blessing. So let's look what it says. It goes on to say this. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, last verse we're going to read this morning. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It says that some of you have gifts to serve and others of you have gifts to speak. Not everyone has the gift of teaching and is able to stand up in front of a crowd and do this. Most people hate the thought of this. Right? There's like this, this old, there's like this saying that says, you know, because of the prevalence of the fear of public speaking, if you were at a funeral, most people would actually prefer to be in the coffin than being up doing the eulogy. Because people hate, so it doesn't have to be this. Not everyone has the gift of teaching or leadership. But also, not everyone has the gift of hospitality or mercy or faith. That's why the gifts are so special, because they come together to provide a church what it needs, each person playing a role and playing a part. When we use the speaking gifts, I believe we should speak the very words of God. When we use the serving gifts, we should rely on the strength that God provides. That's what he's telling us here in the word. In the, in the end, all of it is to be done so that God gets the praise and the glory. The last part of that verse says, to him being the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this week has been fun. It's been a little scattered. I, I, I couldn't work in those nice bullet points that, that we had last week, and I'm sorry for that, but Peter gave us various things to work with, and, and, he's, and he's drawing near to the end of the letter, so he's kind of wrapping things up here. Next week, we're going to pick up in the rest of chapter 4. We're going to have a guest speaker here with us. He's going he's gonna to walk us through that. And, uh, and then the following week will be the last week of the series where we're going to just cover all of, of chapter 5. I'm going to go back for just a moment and give you something to think about as we move back into a time of worship. I always like to give you something to take home, something to think, some, a challenge, an action item. This morning, I want to ask you this. How are you living? Because verse 2 said, no longer for human passions, but doing the will of God. How are you living? How, how, are you, how are you going about your life? How are you going about your job? How are you going about your, your marriage? How are you going about your parenting? How are you going about anything in your life? How are you living? Are you living for your passions or for the will of God? Where are you putting your hope? Is it in Jesus or yourself? Is it in Jesus or the world? Do you, do you even know Jesus here today? Do you even have a relationship with him? Because if not, then the scripture says you, you basically have no hope. You're, you're already dead. But there is hope in Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. I think we've got a couple more songs that we want to sing with you here this morning. We've got communion there in the middle if you'd like to go and, and partake of that. I'm going to be also kind of in the middle section. If you want to come and pray with me if you want to talk to me if you if you have something that God's laid on your heart and you just want to get it off your chest I'll be there uh, don't mind me if I'm jumping around and raising my hand just come in and go for the tap and I'll, I'll stop I promise let me pray over you and then we're going to worship together God we love you so much we thank you for your word we thank you for your servant Peter and for the words that he's written for us to, to read and to understand and to know and to put into action uh, here this morning 
God, I pray that right now as we just take some time to continue to worship you, that we will be uh, kind of introspective a little bit. We'll look and we'll think, how, how are we living? We'll, we'll look at the different areas of our life. Am I, am I living in this area for my passions or for you and your glory? I hope we can move everything, everything over to the ladder, over to your glory, your will, your design, and away from our passions, away from, away from our past desires. We love you so much, God. We pray that you would be in these moments as we worship you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.